our philosophy, what we we define sustainability as, and this isn't our definition, it came from somewhere, I don't know who said it or whatever, but um, is being better than we were yesterday without impacting tomorrow. Awesome. So that's cool. So, um, so yeah, I'm Steve Flaherty. Uh, so um, CEO at Nicotech. So we're out of Delaware, Ohio. So back to my left is Ohio Wesleyan University. So we're actually located at the Entrepreneurial Center at Ohio Wesleyan University. Um, that started off originally just uh, it was an office, right? And so I got a place and started, you know, doing stuff there. And then now it's actually turned into like one of our core uh, components. Um, so we're building out facilities here. So there's a building down the street that'll be our uh, Nicotech 2.0 office, um, where we'll build out, build out a team of about 25 people down there um, over the next year or so here. Um, we've got the lab facilities on, on campus. You know, we're not a research lab or research university, but they still have, you know, SEM microscopes and other stuff. Um, but we're focused originally, it was all around recycled plastics and asphalt. Um, that was like the original premise that we competed with on the venture circuit back in my MBA at University of Louisville. Um, and now it's evolved to where we, we've said sustainable infrastructure solutions. Um, and it's really about kind of decarbonizing that construction infrastructure industry. So how do we do that? Well, more sustainable materials, more sustainable equipment, and then more sustainable processes, procedures, utilizing data um, to make those decisions. So it's, uh, it's enveloped itself into a realm of possibilities with things. And we've been fortunate enough to work with the, uh, the DOD and get some funding, you know, and some test beds uh, for running stuff through the gauntlet. Um, and then scale up for the commercial markets. Uh, that sounds awesome. Uh, I'll actually start it right there just because uh, I think that was a, a really good information dump from you. Um, I'm sort of curious, uh, how did all of this get started on your part? Yeah, so um, in 2007 through 2009, um, I went to the University of Louisville and got my MBA. Um, and uh, in that they had kind of the, the venture pitch uh, realm uh, that you could either, you know, stay 100% classroom or you could get some classroom credits, but you'd have to compete and you'd have to put together a business pitch, you know, presentation. And back then, um, schools actually competed against each other. So we actually competed against University of Cincinnati and some other um, school things. Now, entrepreneurship has gotten so big and uh, become a core culture of many universities, business departments, that now they, they have like internal competitions, right? So they have like enough uh, teams where, you know, they've got 10 teams, they don't have to go recruit from other universities. So kind of takes away from the little competitive nature that we used to get to go to, you know, Nebraska and compete against a bunch of teams. And we'd see the same people when we went to Oregon and we'd try to best them there because we lost them at the last one. And um, ultimately that was a, a really fun experience, really made my MBA uh, worth it. Um, cause we're out pitching to venture capitalists. We're, we're pitching, you know, the, the business model, the plan it's forcing us to rethink with every competition that we go through where they, you know, they poke those holes in your business uh, model. So by the end of the, the two year circuit, we actually finished third in the world out of hundreds wow. of teams. Um, at the time is called moot corp competition. It all ultimately uh, turned into Texas Venture Lab Summit. And then now, like that's an internal UT Austin only 
event. Um, they used to call it the Super Bowl of business playing competitions, and they bring in teams from all over the world. Um, and you had to win a qualifying uh, event in order to go there, which UC was and uh, University of Louisville both were. So, which we didn't win either one of those. We actually had to win in Nebraska uh, to get to the Super Bowl. Um, but we competed there, and and that was that was an eye opening experience. Um, just because I mean, it, it it took you know almost two full years of, of, of competition with stuff, getting that critical feedback, redoing the pitch deck. Um, actually, you know, we had to create a, a, a true LLC. Um, we, you weren't allowed to be just a class project. Mm -hmm. So we're out there, you know, creating a company, looking at future, part, future partners, looking at the CapEx that would be required to do all that. Um, and ultimately we did really well on the competition circuit. When you looked at the market, this is 2009, 2010, sustainability was, was trendy, but there were people still saying that that was going to be a fad and that, you know, um, it was just another, you know, greenwashing thing and, you know, who knows. And um, there was companies that were touting, you know, that they, uh, or they were hiding the fact that they were like using recycled content in, in their product design and stuff. Um, so what we did is we, we kind of made the bet, you know, we weren't, the, the, the bridge uh, across the valley of death was a long one. Um, anytime you've got to pull a market to you, uh, you're going to need a lot of capital and a lot of time. And so we, we ultimately decided instead of going and raising, you know, a couple million dollars to go pursue this um, with an unknown market presence, let's just wait. Let's just see what happens. Um, because we were under the impression and making the bet that sustainability was not only going to keep trending, but that it was going to become a staple mm -hmm. of companies, organizations, and of the future generations, right? I mean, so I'm guess, you know, technically millennial, I identify, you know, the Zennial, so that I got a little bit of legacy Gen X in me. Um, but that we were, we were, you know, brought through in those early recycling days. I mean, that's, that was our elevator pitch, you know, as a child, I remember our teachers urging us to recycle that it would be important for tomorrow. Um, and so we felt that that was going to be part of the, the company culture and the, the, you know, society culture uh, in the future. So lo and behold, a decade later, you know, here we are, um, and it's, you know, bigger now than ever. Um, and so we, 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 relaunched or launched officially as uh, the current organization in 2019. Um, and NECO simply means NEO for innovative or new, ECO for eco-friendly. So if you put it together, you know, it's sustainable innovation. Um, that was the premise around it. So we once again went back and looked at the recycled plastics and asphalt that we had competed with. Um, and that opened up a door to a whole plethora of um, different technologies and sustainability focused on mainly our markets are the infrastructure kind of construction, asphalt, concrete uh, markets. Um, but that's that's been the uh, the premise of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think it's really cool how you identified like a decade ago that sustainability was this growing thing. And then like you bet on it and then it actually like happened. Um, I think that gives you a lot of credibility. Uh, so I'm sort of wondering, what do you think we'll see in the next decade when it comes to sustainability? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, um, you know, people want profit with a purpose. So as, as we look at the companies that we buy from and choose to spend our money at, um, they're wanting to know that you've got a good corporate presence, right? That you're not just 
out there as a, you know, a capitalistic firm that's, you know, putting everything back into something. I mean, the big oil days, you know, per se, are, are kind of done. We, we see the oil companies changing their imaging, changing what they're, what they're doing, um, looking at, you know, biofuels and alternatives. Um, so I think it's really become a staple of the mission set of the HQ, of the corporate offices where their shareholders are wanting this, their customers are wanting this, and their vendors are wanting this. So it's now a, a, you know, I mean, we've got ESG departments, we've got heads, you know, directors of sustainability, chiefs, sustainability officers, that's a thing. Um, and so I, I don't see that going away. Um, from a technology standpoint and everything, I think we'll, we'll start to see where we'll be making choices um, with sustainability as one of those decision factors. Um, and so capital projects before, like, hey, if it, if it gets a return to shareholder value, then that's a green light, right? Well, now it's got to be, hey, is it, you know, sustainable, you know, green in that sense? And then is it also making money green? So I think we'll get a double green um, is the, uh, the, the future. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I think you really, uh, you really uh, identified a problem there where Previously, maybe uh, companies just were worried about return and not necessarily factoring sustainability into the question. Um, I'm wondering what sort of advice do you have for companies that are trying to start to factor in sustainability to their decision making? Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, you can get caught up in 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 the the green tide or the green wave, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, where now you're just you know being you know crazy with stuff or feeling that you have to go all this way. And, and so that, that develops two problems. One, you get too far off and we don't take time to value life cycle analysis, right? So something that may be sustainable today, is it sustainable in the future? If we run too fast, we don't know because we don't have time to evaluate it. Um, but then it's also it developed this thing, well, well, shoot, we're just so far behind the curve. So we're just going to keep doing what we used to be doing. And so our philosophy, what we we define sustainability as, and this is in our definition, it came from somewhere, I don't know who said it or whatever, but um, is being better than we were yesterday without impacting tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so that right there should get you, you know, thinking this whole, you know, the same cliche of, you know, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time? Well, hey, if I want to you know, build a new factory or whatever. It doesn't have to be all hydro or solar or wind powered or whatever overnight. We put that into the phase three model. The first thing is getting it, you know, we're going to build the factory and we're going to use sustainable materials and have a lower carbon footprint than the factory that we built 10 years ago. That's a step in the right direction, right? And then eventually we've got a way that we can get that to where, well, in a, you know, we have good projects and good CapEx, then it's going to have a solar roof in the future, or we're going to, you know, have gardens outside with, you know, capturing, you know, carbon sequestering, you know, who knows. Um, but the whole point is, is that you have to move in, in small, one step at a time. And anything that you did better than you were doing yesterday is a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. And um, I guess my next question is, you know, what is your fundraising or your crowdsourcing story? You know, what steps did you take to get to where you are right now? Yeah, um, so we did do a, a, a WeFunder. Um, so we embraced the, uh, they, they, they coined uh, the community round um, as, they, mm -hmm. as they call it. So it's um, evolved from the Jobs Act. Um, so the Jobs Act, you know, finally allowed regular people 
um, to invest in companies that they were passionate about or that they wanted to support. Um, I had been involved with some of the early legislation of that, you know, from a from afar, but um, had been, you know, have friends in Washington that they're, you know, know me as the startup guy, and they're like, Steve, what is this? And I'm like, is this legit? Is this really happening? They're like, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's a that's cool. And uh, I think originally we thought that there was going to be the hundreds of platforms that you know would form, and that you know you'd have different community rounds. And I think we'll 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 get there eventually. That you'll see like a Columbus. Um, you know, investing thing that anybody in Columbus can invest in local com Columbus companies or something. But right now we've got the big platforms. Um, so we raised capital uh, from, from that. Um, that was more so not out of the necessarily need of capital for us um, because we've got our DOD contracts that stabilize us. Mm -hmm. um, it was more, my role here is also at the university. I help others build things. So I, we're out of the entrepreneurial center at Ohio Wesleyan. Um, it's hard to advise people uh, on something if you haven't been through it yourself, right? And so that's one of our roles with our mentors and everything else. Like if you if you haven't been to the dance, then why am I buying a ticket from you? Like mm -hmm. if you actually haven't attended, then like you're you might be able to tell me what you think it's like, but if you haven't been there, you you can't tell me. And so same philosophy. So we raised uh, um, two hundred and seventy thousand dollars this year off of crowd equity. Um, we spent less than $5,000 in ad spend. Um, there's a lot of companies that will go out and raise, you know, a million dollars, but spend 200 to $400,000 to get there. Um, I didn't feel that that was like, I get it from a signaling standpoint. It looks good to raise a million dollars and it can help juice the rest of the machine. Um, but from an investor standpoint, I'm like, you know, I, I feel it's, that's, that's a hard sell, right? So like, if I say, Mr. Investor, give me a dollar and I'm going to go spend 20 to 40 cents to go get another dollar from someone else. Most investors aren't going to do that. So why take advantage of the crowd? So not knocking crowdfunding uh, from that sense. I just think that there's smarter ways. Like it's, it's, it's developed this whole other industry of marketing personnel that, you know, you, you know, run Kickstarters that come over to crowd equity and say, spend $10,000 a month with us and we'll get you a million bucks. Um, I don't like that philosophy. So we did it as an organic raise. So that was, um, you know, we, we did some ad spend just to get, you know, some of the, the crowd per se. But a lot of that was from the people that have been following us, that know us, that are in our personal networks. Um, and I think that's important um, for, for founders to look at is the alternative capital ways, right? So because one of your biggest buy-ins is from the people that are around you. You know, they say friends, family, and fools. So, but we say friends, family, and fans. So if you can get friends, family, and fans behind you in a small amount of way, um, you know, I think that helps and it gives you this network. We got, you know, so if we want to make a key hire, we've got 200 plus investors now that we can go and say, hey, does anybody have an uncle or yourself or a cousin or something that, you know, could help us either directly fill or find this, you know, dream hire type thing. So um, I think that's the benefit of looking at it beyond just the, uh, the dollars raised of of what crowdfunding is. Um, so I'm a big fan of it. Uh, not a fan so much of the ad spend and what it takes to, to get there, um, you know, normally. So, but I think as people understand what it is, so, cause there's still a lot of misconception around what it means and like, oh, I can go trade, you know, Nico stock. It's like, no, uh, that's a, that's a long hold. <laughs> you know, it may or may not return. Um, but I, I think it's a, uh, it's a cool path to be part of. And, capital is always going to be one of those factors that founders have to figure out, right? They always ask, well, I could do anything if I had money. Well, 
no more excuses. You know, here's here's a way to go raise money. Exactly. So I think one of the things um, I was just trying to like mentally figure out uh, what your trick was for how you you managed to raise so much money when lots of people struggle with it. And it seems like the thing uh, is you really focused on your friends, family, and fans. Um, I'm wondering, do you think that's correct, or is there some other like uh, secret for how you manage to avoid uh, advertising yet still fundraising? Yeah, um, we had a we had a good. I mean, we didn't have an amazing social presence, but we 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 had a number of successes that, that we could tout that I think helped get past those validation factors, right? So, because to the um, the average person, you know, as a uh, as a startup founder and everything, your friends, your family think you're crazy. Um, you know, my wife, you know, love her to death and everything. You know, she'd still probably struggle to tell you, you know, what what does your husband do? Um, she's like, I don't know. He does some stuff with sustainability and it's working with the Air Force and the Army. You know, um, it's it's tough uh, as a founder to be able to explain that. Um, and so having some of those wins. Uh, that you can point to that are uh, socially accepted, I guess, like as a, as a, like a, whether it's a physical trophy or a virtual trophy, you know, type thing. It's like, okay, you know, I'm going to put money into this thing because it seems that the world is giving them traction. Um, so I think those accolades definitely helped. So we were pretty decently active on our WeFunder with um, giving investor updates and anybody that had watched us. So, you know, they allow you to have like mm -hmm. fans on WeFunder. So um, I think technically the more percentage of the money, well, I know technically, so more the percentage of the money came from people that we did not know that just had found us through WeFunder. Mm -hmm. um, so WeFunder has their own network of people, you know, so does Start Engine, so does MicroVentures, all those, right? Um, where they're looking for people with deals. Well, when you get outside that that one touch, that, that single known personal connection, um, then it takes the validity. It takes market validity to get there. So um, our first $100,000 came from our personal network. We, we did that. That's what I did love that crowdfunding added was the testing the waters campaign. We put it out and we're like, maybe we'll get $50,000. And it was more just to, again, test the waters, not even like, hey, we need $50,000. It was like, does the, the rest of the world think what we're doing is cool? Um, let's, let's see. Right. And we ended up getting a hundred thousand. And so then it's like, okay, maybe we should turn this into a, you know, a full campaign and, and see what we can do, um, with, you know, the, Hey, maybe we'll get to a million, but, you know, I think the best way to, to raise on those platforms is raising from like what we is doing with the community of getting people engaged in your company and what you're doing. Um, not necessarily for, the, the full capital monetary value. Mm -hmm. um, so you seek money when you don't need it, right? So if you go on there when you're, when things are going okay, it might be able to, you know, help you through one of those gaps of, of, you know, MVP to commercialization or something. Mm -hmm. um, but unless you've got something really super sexy where like you've just been on like Good Morning America and you're in Time <laughs> Magazine and all that, um, you know, those are the ones if you have a huge social presence, you can do the million dollar raises organically. Otherwise, plan on spending a bunch of ad spend and you got to decide whether that's the right thing for you, you know, to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And 
I guess, putting your lens into the future, you know, let's, we'll say the next, I don't know, five years from now, um, where do you think your funding journey will go? Or do you have any uh, plans or is it more go with the flow or what, what's your uh, plan for that? Yeah, um, we're, we're in quite frankly, a really awesome spot. Um, so we, we've, we've won 10 Air Force contracts in the last two and a half years. Um, so those are the, under the AFWorks program. So I'd encourage any founder to look at it and anybody listening, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to you about the program. It's been an amazing program. The, as a, as a startup, I would have never said, oh, who's your target customer? Like, oh, the military. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to go sell to the DOD. Like that was, that was never even in my vocabulary or on my radar. Um, cause all, all you think about is bureaucratic, large entity, you know, you don't have the scale to be there and, and you don't want to be a small business contractor. That's just a, a sub on a little piece or whatever, um, which is good. But, you know, like as a startup, you're like, you're, you're thinking bigger things. So you're, you're torn and thrown over into the angel VC, you know, IPO acquisition, you know, realm. Right. And so you just go there. Um, it's quite interesting what the Air Force and now the rest of with the SBIR and STTR renewal that they did in September of this year. Um, Congress has authorized the renewal and they have encouraged now the other branches uh, or the other cyber programs mm -hmm. to do what they call open topic. It used to be that, you know, since the 1980s, you know, if the Air Force or the Navy or the Department of Homeland Security or, you know, ag, whatever, has a problem, they would put it out and publicize it and say, hey, mm -hmm. we need, you know, a widget that does X. And if you've got that, come submit a proposal. Mm -hmm. And then a startup, you're, you're waiting six months to hear, and then you find out you're competing against another firm that's got the exact same mm -hmm. widget solution. And it, it's just, it's not a very friendly environment for a startup to be. It's mm -hmm. great for small business, but not very friendly for startup. Um, the AFWorks program has flipped it to where they, you tell them what you need, show them that it's got warfighter, you know, potential mm -hmm. that it's going to help, you know, the nation's warfighters, um, that it's got tech validity so that it's not just vaporware or something, and that it's got dual use commercial uh, products because the odds of you actually servicing the DOD are probably very slim, um, but it's possible. So they'll still try. Um, but you've got to have a dual, another market to go into that should be bigger than what the, the government um, should be. Because at the end of the day, it's congressional dollars, which means it's American taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. So it's an ultimate economic stimulus thing. And so we've been fortunate enough to win those. Um, we, will, we have set up now where we will continually um, submit to those that are real solutions that can commercialize, not like the the problem with the renewal was quote the cyber mills where it's just these idea centers just cranking out ideas and researching them and then throwing the technology on a shelf and it never actually gets into anybody's hands so we want true full product potential it's a great way to fund it's a great way to test the military is really good at breaking shit um so they'll tell you where your holes are and they've got some of the most robust and um crazy you know scenarios and things uh to test and do than the commercial market. So, um, and it, what it gives us too is validity to that commercial market. When I go in and talk about asphalt to a, you know, a city or whatever, and they're like, well, you know, how do you know it's going to work and stuff? It's like, well, we tested it with fighter jets and, you know, it did okay. And it's like, oh, come on in. <laughs> so, um, so that's the nice part is we've got that funding that will stay stable. 
Um, we are talking to investment capital right now and looking to put together our, our first, you know, round analysis. You know, do we, do we do a traditional, you know, venture capital round? Um, I'm inherently, I, I always tell people, you know, take it if you need it, but the best uh, capital that you can get is revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So go after revenue first. Um, but when you're at the stage where we've set the foundation and we've got the, this is the broadest I've ever built a company. I've built many companies and this is the broadest I've ever uh, done. And as a sales guy by nature, it's really hard for me to not have a product like in the market um, daily, right? So all of our stuff is still over in our R&D land and testing and, and all that. Mm -hmm. um, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of revenue from that side, but 2023 is our commercialization. Um, when you are at that stage and you've got the machine built per se, so our machine being the business model, um, it gets really exciting to add fuel. So we can, you know, I look at our DOD funding as air, you need it. So because it's what's paying the bills and going, and then, you know, you've got the fuel. And so air and fuel, if, you know, you're talking traditional combustion engines, those are the two necessary ingredients. Um, so I think that's kind of the path we're looking um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's nice because we can, we can be particular. Um, I've watched many companies and helped many startup founders that have raised capital and watched several, you know, take what I call dumb money. Um, they take it for the check, right. Or the prestige of the organization or whatever, and not fit. And so you've got to have smart money invested mm -hmm. in your company. I want my board meetings to be as easy as a team meeting. Right. I don't want to go into a war room with a, a board. So why would I take capital from, you know, somebody that doesn't understand our business model or wants to push us in a different direction or all that. So we're fortunate enough where we can be stingy because we've got, you know, it's like we don't need the capital, but it gets really interesting when you throw fuel onto a already burning fire. Well, thank you. And um, I, I, did, I guess I didn't want to butt in, but I used to work at a uh, defense contractor and I couldn't agree more with how the nature of the, uh, you know, that, that's a whole other business realm and it's it's very hard to tackle, but it's, I mean, you've seen so much success and I want to just congratulate you on that. And I believe Tyler had a question after mine. Yeah. So I'm sort of curious. Um... Like getting funding from the DOD sounds like uh, a really big challenge for maybe new entrepreneurs. I'm sort of curious, um, how would you start getting that ball going? Like if, if I know I want to start a business and I want to get funded uh, from the DOD, what's my first step? Yeah, um, the nice thing is, is they've got a lot of information out there now. Um, so the program that I referenced is called AFWorks. It's AF. W E R X. Um, and so I'm pretty sure it's afworks.mil or if you Google it, you will find it. Um, so they've got amazing webinars and FAQs. Um, and then they do weekly AMAs, ask me anything, um, just for people that are both looking at the next solicitations um, and then the people that are in it. So like once you're in the system, um, there's, there's these things. So I had no idea about what it was. It got presented to me through another founder and he basically said, hey man, this thing's coming up. Um, we don't have time to put together stuff, but with what you're working on, it sounds like it could be something cool You know, if you've got the resources. At the time it was just me, uh, this office. Uh, I locked myself in this office for six days straight 
and I followed directions and I went through and submitted um, a proposal. Um, you know, so they've got it outlined, you know, it's, it's, they've, they've dedicated uh, times of the year that they release these things. And, you know, it's not normal. I would not suggest six days um, uh, putting together a proposal. I would not, you know, suggest just blindly going and doing it. Um, it worked for us. Uh, that is definitely not the norm. I've talked to people that have put four to six months of research and, and stuff into these things um, of just putting together the proposal. Um, so it's, uh, it was a little bit of grit out of necessity, you know, from our, our standpoint, um, we were fortunate enough to receive our first contract that introduced us to that realm. Um, we actually got it, uh, issued March 5th of 2020. So, and we had this night is 90 day window, uh, to go find a military customer. And we're like, oh, we're going to go to Wright Pad every other week. We're going to talk to DOD thing. We're going to go to these events. And yeah, it'll just be great. And we'll find we'll find a, a military customer that cares about us. Two weeks later, the world shuts down, right? And the DOD was not prepared to go remote. So because security and everything else, nobody can have laptops at home. They don't have phones, personal phones listed. So trying to find someone, you know, to sponsor our phase two was really tough. Um, and so if I can do it in that scenario and th that realm, it's, it's rather easier, you know, to do it now, uh, with the world back open and events happening again. Um, and like I said, I'm happy, you know, I've helped, uh, um, I think four other companies get, uh, contracts, um, oh, wow. from the AFWorks program. Um, and, and just look at that as a, as a funding source. So the best, the best way to fund a business is through multiple methods, right? Don't just pick one horse, you know, have 10 horses running, you know, look at, you know, SBA loans, look at, you know, crowdfunding, look at angel investing, venture cap, you know, look at, you know, DOD and grants and um, all the CIBRL and SBIR, STTR, depending on who you're talking to. And DOD, we call it CIBR. Um, you can tell if you're talking to a non-traditional person or a traditional person. So AFWorks, it's called, uh, or in DOD, it's CIBR. Uh, in the traditional realm, from researchers and scientists and engineers, it's SBIR. So I can quickly tell who I'm talking to. I have to no idea. I, we've been <laughs> Neither did I. That's, but, oh my yeah, we've, we've had to learn to embrace alphabet soup. Um, so <laughs> the DOD is famous for their acronyms. Um, and so the first time in, uh, you know, to your point, Tyler, um, yeah, it, it's, it was intimidating as hell. Um, we hadn't, you know, we understand the military as just, you know, human beings and everything of, of what happens. And, you know, um, you've got the parades and the holidays that's celebrated. And um, we all usually know a family member or a personal friend that's served. Um, and so you get it from, from that sense, but you never really think like, it's always about the weaponized systems, right? You always think about the war mentality, not all the, you know, that's only 5% of the military. 95% is the operations behind it that, that go to support that. And it's not just the equipment, it's the people. And so it's amazing. Um, people will look at it and be like, well, we're not a defense contractor or we're not, you know, we couldn't possibly offer the military anything. Well, I've seen a fertility treatment get funded through the same program that we're in because that is something that military families have to deal with just as well. And so when you really think about it, what the military is, is, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, a humanized system, right? So we have a bunch of humans that are operating, you know, a job and a mission set, but we still have to manage and house and, you know, feed and fund those humans. 
So it's really kind of limitless, almost almost what you can take to the military that would impact their organization. You just have to think about it in different sense of terms than the traditional, oh, I don't have a laser guided, you know, missile or something. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Um, me and uh, another group of students actually tried to do a, a DOD grant before um, we started digging into it. And we found that like the proposal writing was really difficult. We start Googling it. There's all these people that are like, oh, you give us X amount of dollars and we'll write the proposal for you. And it's like, all right, well, do they actually know what they're doing? Or are they just like trying to take my money? And I'm sort of wondering like, what's your opinion on this? Is, is this something where you do want to hire a grant writer or is this more of a, hey, you can do it yourself? Yeah, I, I just like anything, um, you know, I think it's very important to go through the work yourself first. Um, and especially when it comes to, you know, startups and everything else, your limited resources, your limited funds, um, you know, go, go do the effort. And so that you at least understand the process. Now we're at the point that, yeah, we've, we've hired, you know, grant proposal firms that, that help us go through the process. That's how we submit four at one cycle instead of one. Um, mm -hmm. But that, that's a scaling thing, just like economies of scale come with, you know, unit production or, you know, HR. Um, that's, that's something that, that's done, um, you know, as you scale and as you grow. Um, the nice thing is, is especially right here in Ohio, um, there's, there's something called Apex that's part of the Parallax Research Group. Um, they actually have an intermediary agreement, a partnership intermediary agreement. It's called a PIA, so alphabet soup, remember? Um, so where they are responsible uh, from the Air Force's standpoint of getting companies to go through the process. And so they have a ton of free resources that a lot of the consultants and everything offer um, that it's all free. And they work with any company in the country. So, um, you know, they've been, they were helpful for us. I didn't find out about them until our phase two, uh, but they were instrumental in us helping us get that phase two because there is a lot of nuances, um, you know, and it's, it's both by necessity and by design that they make the, the application and the proposal process the way it is. Um, there's a checklist and there's an outline but not all the answers are there. And they'll reference things like, you know, you have to, you know, adhere to this condition or whatever. And then you go click on that hyperlink and it takes you over to a whole nother onion that you're like, holy crap, I got to do. I mean, I got down to, we did one with the university and I'm like down to a document that was binding that needed to be signed. And I'm like, what was that? What, that, that wasn't in the checklist. It's like, oh, well, you know, you have to submit it as part of your proposal. And so there is a lot of nuances in that sense. Um, it's, you can figure it out. It takes dedication. It takes time. Uh, like I said, I mean, you know, I was able to do it in six days, uh, but that if I would have had, you know, 20, it would have been, you know, a little bit better. We were fortunate enough to, to get through at a, at a time, you know, uh, when we did. Um, so it's, it's intense, it's intimidating, um, but go through it first and then start looking at it because then you're going to also get into the environment where you get to talk to the other companies that have been through the process mm -hmm. and find out who they're using, right? And then their experiences with them. Um, so to the point of the, the companies just, you know, yeah, there are plenty. I get LinkedIn messages all the time of people like, we'll help you write government grants and proposals and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, we've done our own. <laughs> Go check <laughs> us out first. Um, but they do play a value, I think, once you understand the process. So I think they enhance 
um, once you've been through the process. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a, I'm always the go, go do it yourself. Just go execute action equals traction and then go see um, plus what other resources out there, because there's probably somebody that will do this stuff to help us that, especially when you're dealing with government things, the government has a bunch of ways to help you. They just don't market because mm -hmm. it's a waste of money of taxpayer dollars to market services that, you know, help you go get free things. So you just got to do some digging and, and find the resources and put it together, crunch through it the first time, and then decide whether you want to go to that next scale to, to bring in somebody once you're activating uh, and, and performing work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, back when me and the other students were trying to write uh, a DOD grant, um, I think one of the things we really underestimated was the amount of time it would take. And I'm sort of wondering, I know you said you did it in six days, um, and that's not normal, I don't think. Uh, for entrepreneurs that are looking to get funding from a DOD grant, like what sort of time commitment or timeline do you think they should uh, set aside in order to complete that? Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, um, a quarter, like a quarter of a year mm -hmm. is a good time frame to be able to digest the, the scenario. That doesn't mean continuous work for a quarter of a year. But like, if you're interested in getting in, you know, to that, I think you go to the webinars, read some of the information packets that they have out there, find and talk to, you know, one of the resource, you know, companies like Apex or Parallax um, and, and, and do your diligence on there. And then the mm -hmm. actual proposal writing, you, you want to allocate a good solid month um, where you're not going to necessarily be working on it every hour of the day during that time, but you're going to be pushing the ball forward daily with, with tasks on that. I think that's the best way. I mean, so like now when we do them, I mean, uh, and the nice thing is, is the AFWorks program, they've, they've now standardized their release dates. So we know when they release, we know when they, they're, they're due. So, cause they have pre-release and they have all these meetings, you know, for addendums and questions and everything, then they're due, then there's an evaluation period. And then there's a, a contract sprint period. And we now know those dates. We didn't used to know those. So our first one came really quick. Our second one was like months delay um, because of the pandemic and everything else. Um, now they're set. And so that's what's nice is you can look at it and there's multiple cycles per year. And so you can go and say, okay, I'll go hit this. And then, you know, if you don't get in, you can submit it to the next cycle. But um, it's like anything, the best day to start is, you know, yesterday, the, the second best is today. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I really appreciate how you've given us sort of like a, a really wide amount of information in multiple different ways to, to get funds to start your, your business. Um, I'm wondering just to sort of wrap it up, what's, uh, what's the final advice or the biggest advice you'd want to give somebody that sort of wants to follow in your footsteps? Just start. Um, so, I mean, get out there and, you know, pursue, you know, you don't have to go all in and quit the daytime job. And, um, you know, you can build, you know, from five to nine, uh, as they say. Um, so it's, there is no, you know, easy key to success. There is no easy way to build a company. Um, it takes true hard work and it's, uh, you know, get a team around you that, that can complement um, not, you know, necessarily, you don't want a bunch of yes men. Um, you want some contradiction into what you built, right? So um, it, it's, uh, it's just action equals traction. You have to execute. 
So because there's plenty of people that go out with great ideas that have the next best thing or whatever, but just don't take that step. Um, and so be able to be talked to anyone, expand your horizons in your network. You never know what conversation. I mean, there's been, we call it nicodipity now. Um, so, cause it's the serendipitous things that happen that we, we could have never foreseen, you know, by going to a place or talking at some event or, you know, having a conversation, you know, in the line waiting to get into a conference room, right. That leads you to an introduction. Um, that's why they say always have your elevator pitch at your at your hip ready to go, because you never know what that pitch may lead to. It might not be that direct person. It's about, you know, the degrees of separation. The more that you can pull that in closer to you, it's amazing what can happen when all cylinders are firing. 